Every thought that has ever every thought that has ever been thought. Every thought that has ever been every thought that has ever been thought. Hi, I'm Matt Merrill Lowry, writer and editor of Thoughtscape Comics, and you're listening to the Thoughtscape Creators Interview Series, part of the Thoughtscape Comics Kickstarter taking place in January of 2023. If you are listening to this in January of 2023, please visit thoughtscape2023.com and consider backing the campaign. We have three issues worth of our acclaimed sci-fi anthology comic and much, much more available as rewards, including one-of-a-kind commissions, promotional posters, and other comics and books from Thoughtscape Comics contributors. Again, that's thoughtscape2023.com, and be sure to scroll the entire page so you can see what all is available. We need your help to get this series up and running in a regular fashion, and we really appreciate you taking the time to check out the campaign and listen to these talks. And now, please enjoy my talk with Carl Slominski, the amazing artist and my co-creator on Ex Post Facto, a Dash Ferric Misadventure. All right, this is Matt Merrill-Lowry, the writer-editor of Thoughtscape Comics, and I am talking with Carl Slominski, the artist... Uh, on Thoughtscape Comics, Ex Post Facto, A Dash Varric Misadventure. Carl, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, sir. Yes. So first, I wanted to just talk about what got you into comics as a reader and a fan. Oh, boy, that's a that's a massive question. That's a gargantuan yeah. <laughs> question. Uh, I, you know, I got to be honest, I think from, from my earliest days of being able to hold a pen, I was always stapling scrap paper together and putting little pictures in boxes without realizing it's an entire medium. Um, my oldest memories for this back that my parents regale me with on the regular is that I would just make comics and they had never bought me one. And I wasn't surrounded by comics by any means. I didn't actually find a physical comic until I was in like second or third grade. And uh, they were like old star Wars comics and uh, Jack Kirby's Omac. And I found them at a local used bookstore because they had like comics for a quarter and like none of those comics you can actually ever find for a quarter again but it was just the coolest place just books stacked to high heaven all the walls were just covered in just everything i frequented the place until adulthood when they closed and uh it was kind of like a nice little haven but uh yeah that's that's the formative answer okay i don't i don't know if i'd ever consider myself a fan at any point, I liked the medium. I think the medium is um, wholly unique to our pop culture. And uh, in many ways, we don't give it the respect it deserves, which is probably why I'm less of a fan and more of a avid follower of uh, the craft. Yeah, that makes sense. As does uh, you being exposed to OMAC at a really young age, which <laughs> basically shot my chances of being a fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a, a it's interesting influence on a younger kid for sure. Yeah, like book. six or seven years old and reading OMAC, like yeah. that's that's not you're, you're clearly screwed for life after that because you're just gonna want to go to that cool Gonzo stuff that you're supposed to like appreciate as an adult instead. Yes, for sure. That's very cool. So what was your, aside from then your early, like messing around with the format and the medium, what, uh, what was your path to becoming a sort of pro creator? Uh, I was still like, man, from then on, it was just hit the ground running. I just kept on making my own stuff and just producing stacks and stacks of pages before realizing like it's an actual career. Uh, and you know, by that point, 
I think like the early 90s buzz of the X-Men had finally worn off of uh, my friends at the time and I never really paid close attention to it. But by that point, I was like aware of comics and I was going to the comic store on the regular. Like I became a Wednesday warrior taking chances on things that kind of like struck a chord. And uh, we were in the middle of like the third wave of image putting out really interesting stuff like the peak of cliffhanger, which some may say is crap, but I really enjoyed some of the expansive ideas that were coming out of there at the time. But um, I never really got into mainstream comics in any diehard way. But because of that, I kind of figured out like, that's a job you can you can do that for a living. And it's a job that's the closest you can be a commercial artist, air quote, air quote, while also still having some sort of artistic wherewithal. So uh, that's when I discovered the Kubert School. And uh, I got in and spent three brutal years under the tutelage of uh, Joe himself, he was still alive at the time, as well as Adam and Andy, and uh, a whole roster of working professionals that kind of, uh, if, if reading OMAC at a young age didn't shape me to be a, uh, an ornery and cynical comics creator, that school certainly did, because you're learning from people that still draw on paper, and you know the digital upswing hadn't yet occurred. Um, and yeah, after that, I just, I pursued every possible opportunity I could find. Like back in the day, there were some message boards like Digital Webbing and Pencil Jack. And I would um, seek out anyone who was looking to, you know, pay young creators to do like pitch work or, you know, self-published vanity projects, essentially. And I've, I've just got boxes upon boxes in storage of stuff that has seen the light of day or will never see the light of day. And I've done work for companies that don't exist anymore. <laughs> I have more like companies that don't exist on my resume uh, than I think most working musicians have. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so if any of you guys want anything from Viper Comics, let me know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Do you have any uh, like any Kubert School stories that um, would be interesting to share? Um, I mean, every day kind of had its own there was something about that school that if you were serious about the creation of comics, which most of us were, it kind of had this intoxicating impact on you where you were very dialed into the history and uh, that, that weird thing that kind of happens when you start studying essentially to become a journeyman in some way, because it's not something that everyone can do, even though everyone thinks they can there's a lot more thought that goes into it, especially when you're learning from these people that have been doing it for, in some cases, 60, 70 years. Uh, I worked alongside the great High Eisman and uh, a couple other veterans. And I, you, you soak up those war stories and um, you don't take it for granted. I know it's very easy to kind of like take for granted the college experience or the art school experience, but it's such a rigid schedule like the courses for the Kubert school is it's a full day's work and it's all dedicated to creating comics and each class basically you're producing a comic book a week and there's like 10 classes so like they're not going to be the prettiest thing all the time but like you you have to love it and I think the thing that was interesting was from my first year I think my class was like 220 230 students and by the third year the graduating class was about 70. Like oh, that's wow. how brutal it is. And it's definitely shaped me to become the kind of prolific creator I am today, a legend in my own mind. But um, <laughs> it's kind of one of those things. It's like forged in blood. <laughs> right. Um, 
I'm sure I could have had a normal college experience, but I mean, I, the idea of going to a classroom and essentially, you know, learning about Alex Toth or Milton Kniff, and it's like, mention those names to anyone at the shop on Wednesday and like, maybe one of the older guys will get you, but like, I don't, I know nobody on Twitter uh, that has, you know, anthologies on Kickstarter and whatnot, probably know any of those names. Right, right. Along those lines, who do you consider to be your influences and anybody that maybe is an influence that isn't apparent from your style, although your style is wide ranging? Um, yeah, that's the downside to being so varied. Uh, I think I don't really like influence as an idea because... Mm-hmm. The second that you reveal who you're following, people are like, oh, I see that now. And then they're just like, yeah. oh. It's more like early Bilson Cabbage. People were like, oh, yeah, you can tell he studied under Neil Adams. But who did right. back then? Um, and they also change. Like, if you were to ask me in the Kubert school, I'd be like, Paul Pope, Chris Bacallo, you know, people like that. Like, wide-ranging. But mm-hmm. then it was Bilson Cabbage, and I went through, like, a whole painterly phase, which is very apparent in Dash Varick. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't, I don't read a lot of um, Western comics anymore. So a lot of the stuff that I follow is either from the Bondesne arena or uh, manga, quite frankly, because that's where some of the bigger ideas are. And Western comics right now are kind of um, stagnant in a way that I didn't think possible, considering there's no budgetary limit on what you put on a page. I'm amazed at the lack of world building and imagination. And there's like maybe four or five people that are making really interesting expansive uh work but you should have that in every book and i don't want to read netflix pitches on wednesday yeah Uh, i also don't want to read lesser versions of the mcu either because it's very clear that like those are now just kind of flyers for the next whatever streaming show yeah i feel you there if i mean you and i have talked about this probably but just going back to some of the older stuff um and it's really it makes it tough to uh i feel like see the everything you're talking about the lack of world building even just the lack of detail you know oh for sure like panel by panel basis not that you have to pack everything full but like it was so easy to get lost in those worlds because of a level of detail and yeah uh, stuff that's just not there anymore so well that's kind of one of my main uh, I don't want to sound like an absolute cynic, but there are facets where it's like, I don't think it's cynicism. I think it's more constructive criticism, which there is none of, by the way, in comics. And that's another cross I have to bear. Everyone thinks everything is the greatest all the time, so nothing is bad. But my problem with like modern comics, especially now, like the last decade, is that I can look at everything that I bought that at some point made me want to make comics and just read it and reread it and appreciate every last detail of this it takes you about five minutes to read a modern book now and like the amount of detail and the amount of thought put into the pages aren't nearly as sophisticated as they used to be and i mean this is culturally a bone i have to pick with everything right now and it's just yeah everything is a copy of a copy of a copy but so much so that it's so blurry and so indistinguishable like it's the taco bellization of our output (laughs) And listen, I love me a chicken quesadilla till the stars come home, but I don't want to eat it every night. I'm not in college. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, I guess, so 
that sort of gets me thinking about our stuff and because I guess one thing and I feel like I hear this from people that I have talked to so far about the book this time around especially um, is that hopefully uh, Dash Varick is not like anything else that folks have read. Um, it definitely has a lot of detail and a lot of varied style um, and I was just curious uh, the so when I've been talking to folks, they've been asking me about what our process is on that story and <laughs> what's in the script and what's not, in, not in the script. Um, and so, uh, I was curious what your answer to that question would be and how you view how we've been working on that. I, you know, <laughs> I have to be honest. Uh, I think I was initially a little hesitant to just dive headfirst into the deep end with that first dash story because i was just like mm -hmm. well, there's a lot going on and matt's throwing a lot your way but like he clearly has an idea of something but is it the same thing when i was just like you just want me to just do everything uh getting that freedom like the second i was like oh he's fine he's fine with you dipping your head in the acid just go for it mm -hmm. um it's actually been really freeing because i know that like with the dash stuff i can do everything anytime all the time and that's always a welcome moment when you're making right. comics. But uh, yeah, I don't, I, I try not to think too much about process because I think there's like four people that listen to these things that are like interested in process. Yeah. I mean, I could wax intellectually about that endlessly, but I mean, at the end of the day, what they really want to, the real question there is uh, what are you doing differently? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that just comes from, the uh the freedom that you gave me essentially yeah. um you know whatever is on the page is never really like binding handcuffs to the desk it's very much you can do this or whatever you want but because yeah. of that freedom that i got initially i think it informed the later stuff because the newer chapter of dash i think is the most dialed in dash has ever been mm -hmm. and uh probably the most fun i had because it was very apparent that you were just like oh i know what carl does best yeah, it's been super fun to, I guess, be able to revisit, not revisit, it's not the right word, like to be iterating on this, like each chapter out, I guess. And like after seeing what you've done um, with the previous chapter, you know, because I'm like, I tend to write like the chat, like chapters ahead and then uh, revise when I get the latest one in, um, which is sort of how I've been working. And sometimes the revision is completely throwing out what I did before. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it's, um, yeah, it's super, super fun. Cause I guess there's all sorts of little alternative universes, um, that it's, it's going into and going down, but, um, yeah, no, that's great to hear. I mean, like it's, I feel like it's the ultimate in the book so far, the like, most uh pronounced expression of like multiple minds working on something is going to yield something better than just uh you know i don't know a script that's a bunch of strict commandments to do x you know i always feel kind of bad too because i feel like dash is an outlier in thoughtscape i'm just like oh man i hope i didn't go too far off the <laughs> you know i don't maybe i'm way out there now no i think it's uh i think it's great i mean like i guess to me, it's especially, I got one, uh, what were they like advanced questions, I guess, for a podcast that was coming up. And one of them was one of the questions was about, you know, essentially, I think getting at what does Thoughtscape offer that, you know, like Black Mirror or something doesn't. And 
and I guess like I would say like dash Varric because I don't <laughs> it, you're gonna you know it, even if all three other stories in each issue were Twilight Zone derived or 2000 AD derived or something and and I didn't succeed at going somewhere else with them I feel like dash every time is not going to be uh, no AI is going to come up with that um, so being able to push stuff um into new areas. Is there anything that you're interested in doing in the future uh, with your art or just that you're trying to accomplish at some point um, that's on your mind when you sit down to create a page? Uh, with my stuff specifically or with the Dash stuff? Uh, either way, I think. Well, the Dash stuff, I'm just going to keep on pushing myself until I do eventually go mad. But <laughs> it'll be Perfect. great because by then I'll have that full lock on the Sienkiewicz mode. And at that <laughs> point, I'm hoping he retires and I can just take up that mantle and be a rich guy. Right. That'd be great. Let's, let's hope we get there. Um, yeah, I don't know. With my personal stuff, uh, the last year has been pretty tumultuous as far as my relationship with comics, the industry. Um, and on the complete opposite end of that, my relationship with comics, the medium, has had a bit of a rekindling because not to get too into the weeds, but I, I went through some massive personal and professional upheaval over the last year. And I saw myself like selling off comics to keep a roof over my head and like right. really trying to like keep myself afloat. And it was like, it turned into a bit of a Greek tragedy because it was like thing after thing after thing. And I was just like, all right, okay, whatever. And the thing that kind of brought me back to, kind of relinquishing any of that like unspoken control that the industry idea had over me was realizing it's as simple as putting a pen to a blank page. Like mm. you can get it out there by hook or by crook. Like nobody's going to stop you. And I think right now, especially, especially right now, the comics industry air quote, air quote is so inundated with this nefarious ideology that, there is this control on the output and there is this unspoken dialogue that if it can't be fit into a box, it's not worthy. And I think that that's a really toxic conversation. And I think if you're making art of anything that's worth, you know, engaging with, why would you even listen to that? Yeah. Like you're, you're cutting, you're cutting yourself completely off from the experience of expression and then conversely, for the audience, you know, engaging with that work, I don't, I don't understand this whole, there's this weird thing happening where everyone has to be able to understand it before they read it, uh, be able to label it before they read it, and have an opinion on it before they read it. And I just, how, how, are you, how do you do that? Especially in, in a field where you have to essentially convince people that this is the story they want to take on three months in advance. <laughs> right, right. Um, and the second, I mean, getting off Twitter was huge. I don't really social media. I'm a post and ghost um, proponent because mm -hmm. uh, it's really, it's unhealthy. And no offense to anyone that relies on that as a source of outreach. I know, especially when you're running a crowdfunding campaign, it's kind of a yeah. necessary evil. But uh, I just don't have any interest in playing that game. Um I think we've been tricked on the whole to to feel that it's necessary to be the loudest person screaming on top of the soapbox. But when the room is full of soapboxes and everyone's screaming, what what what's the point? I mean, 
it's unhealthy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree completely. I've, after the campaign, um, I have, uh, I think I'm going to follow your lead at least to a small degree and um, get out of a few of those spaces for sure. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, it's for everyone. Sure, we live in internet times, but also, I mean, I, I do genuinely feel like there are certain industries that if the majority of your work is done in the confines of a studio alone, like that is going to be your only outreach and mm -hmm. people say some silly stuff. And then that silly stuff is logged for record. Yep. But yeah, yeah. that's just me. I like having a healthier mind and I think yeah. having a healthier mind actually makes better work, but I'm a maverick. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I think to your earlier point, like, there's, I, I get hung up a lot on the, the notion, I guess that you were talking about the packaging of things, um, and the, I guess making everything, it feels like it's veering away from art, right? It's just, it's like the pure commerce of comics or something of just like, well, I'm going to package oh, yeah. this so that people can do this. And to me, and I don't, I, I think we've had some similar experiences in terms of the, in the industry, um, in quotes, as you said, um, which I, I only say in quotes um, because they don't run like a business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not in the slightest. Um, but like we're, so it's like, you're taking this thing. And I mean, I do, I've, I have to pull back from this a lot myself. You're taking this thing that's supposed to be this expression of yourself, this art that you got into to make the art. And you're trying to tune it to this thing, this industry that does not, I would say even like respect itself or respect like the people in it don't seem to respect their own businesses to run them like a business. And 100%. So it's like, what are you, why are you doing this thing? And then the thing that I, I don't care about at all, but I, this is where like I have I found my hang up, I guess is like, we're never like the chances of you turning this into something where unless you work all the time, you're going to be able to make it your gig. Um, are so are so small, um, especially on the writer side. That like, why are you? Why mess with your vision or whatever um, in order to fit in this box? That this box is gonna probably like take take away the rewards of artistic expression. Not, Absolutely. Um, and and then there's nothing left because there's not really money there. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a strange thing, and I feel like the social media landscape sort of just reinforces all that stuff and kind of creates this thing where we're all just like consuming ourselves over, over what, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think my rude awakening was when I realized I, it's kind of like a cone essentially at the end of it is the large, the larger side is okay. I make creator owned comics and then I get a little closer and I go, I'm also a writer artist. Like dash is kind of an outlier because the majority of my stuff is I've written and drawn myself. And then the, the, the audience for creator-owned is already smaller than, you know, the major publishers. So then by the time you get to writer-artist, well, people have to be a fan of your writing or your art or both. And that brings it down even smaller. And there's, you know, maybe at the end of the day, a couple thousand people that take a chance on creator-owned stuff. And then even smaller, if it's a niche book, it's even smaller. So I think the realization that, like it's better to just respect your audience and appreciate that there are people that dig what you do was huge for me because that, that kind of made me feel free. Like 
I'm good now. Like I know who I'm working for essentially. And it's me and the people who like what I do. And I, because of that, I mean, the stuff that I'm doing in like the next year or two, cause I do plan that far out. It's, it's all self-generated and it's all things that I want to do and things that I know that people that like what I do will dig and it's, you know, substantial. And it's, it's not, I'm not out here to make, you know, a three ninety nine, four ninety nine, twenty two page book that you can just toss aside after five minutes. I want something that sticks with you. Yep. What are some of those things you've got cooking? Oh, Matt. Oh, it's a, it's <laughs> I know a, there's many. <laughs> it's a list. Uh, I'm still working on Lady Mayhem, which is, is huge. I, I'm like Terry Gilliam. I have the smallest of ideas and then they spiral. Right. Um, but it's also some of the best work I've ever done. So uh, I find that hugely gratifying. Uh, I'm also still working on The Last Watchtower, which is uh, a lot more of a quiet, somber little uh, meditation on mortality in space, naturally. Right. Um, and uh, after that, I do have another book that'll be in stores probably late 2022, 23. And it's a kind of a pulpy retro sci-fi thing um that i don't think i've mentioned anywhere yet but um that comes out next and then after that i'm free as a bird and i stopped putting it off i'm finally gonna dive into my massive 600 page sci-fi space opera that i've been building up to for about a decade but yeah uh yeah i finally have a treatment for that and a basic outline and i'm actually uh I'm looking forward to finishing up this year. I know it just started, but I think that this second I'm allowed to just do the thing that I've always wanted to do. Uh, some crazy stuff could happen. Yeah, for sure. How long have you had that idea? Oh, man. I want to say... I mean, I've always wanted to do some iteration of this, but this has been around, I want to say, since like 2007. So I've got like five or six like massive sketchbooks, like tomes we're talking of like character designs and just the background environments and all that. And I didn't really have plans to make it huge or anything like that. Well, obviously, I'm not going to release, you know, a tome. You'll never hear from me again. Um, but um, clearly in installments and whatnot. But it's very, it's very aware of what it is in uh, tone because I just want to make a fun comic that looks good, that has a lot of soul to it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's big and sprawling and I think way too much about all the character motivations and their interactions. And I'm sure that's more than most writers do now, present company excluded. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting really good at being on podcasts and saying the right things. (laughs) Right. Well done. (laughs) Just takes some practice. Yes. Um, so I guess, you alluded to like a treatment and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I think maybe more than other folks um, that I've worked with, you have experience in the storytelling business uh, outside of comic making, I believe. Yeah. I'm um, a screenwriter too. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Is there any, uh, <laughs> Take the bandaid any good ex- off. Right. <laughs> any good experiences to tell us about there or? Oh, there's no such thing as a good experience in screenwriting. A screenwriter in film is like a comic book artist in comics. We're the lowest man on the totem pole. Um, no, I, I have a, a strong affinity for storytelling, and there's a lot of stories. I don't think every story is meant for every medium. So this idea of 
retroactively making like a failed spec a comic book really kind of uh it was grating on me because while i understand that's kind of the market we're in now uh, and have been for well over a decade i just don't think that's right yeah so me getting into screenwriting was a little bit of revenge (laughs) (laughs) i was like all right so you're gonna you're gonna live in my house and kick your door down (laughs) um but yeah it has it has helped shape me into a better comics writer um Mm -hmm. not that i was a bad one to begin with but like the general craft of storytelling and not just in you know the beats on a page but in general arcs and character motivations and individual characters having individual voices that is such a rarity in comics yeah that i you'd think it'd be second nature but i swear to god i pick up like your average marvel or dc book and everybody sounds like a middle school tween yeah yeah, it's uh, not a ton of variety there, I think. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I'm not dissing any friends or anything like that. I don't have comic book friends. <laughs> you have a few. But... I have a handful of them. There are people yeah. that are working very hard to go unnoticed. We're <laughs> <laughs> toiling in obscurity. Um, yeah. You know, like I said, legends in our own minds. Yeah, exactly. It's the right way to do it, right? Most of the stuff we loved was this, was this way, I suppose. So, hey, it's nobody like, knew who David Cho was until he was accidentally a millionaire. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> oh, um, cool. Well, what do you do when, if if there is a time uh, when you're not making comics and not uh, screenwriting? Um, what are you up to? Right now, I'm focusing on my health for a change. <laughs> um, yeah, I've always kind of done that, but I don't. I don't have hobbies. I think hobbies are kind of leisurely upper crust kind of things for people that get easily bored. But uh, I, I do live for my craft, and I don't mean that in that incendiary, obnoxious art school way where I'm smoking cloves and drinking red wine. Uh, it's very much a uh, I live for my craft. My craft lives for me. Yeah. Because if I'm intaking, it's going right back out in something I'm doing, and if something is coming out, it's very directly influenced by the things around me. Um, I don't know. I'm in a really good headspace, creatively speaking, these days, which I know a lot of people struggle with. And it was just a matter of, like I said before, unplugging, uh, engaging in things that aren't commercial. I've never really sought out stuff that was, you know, mainstream, quote, quote, the little punk kid never grew out of me. Right. But um, I, I do think that it's important for me, particularly, to have a routine. Uh, anytime that I don't have a schedule or a routine, I kind of flounder. So I'm very regimented. The idea of being like one of those slacker comic book artists that like eventually gets their shit together just doesn't appeal to me. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, I'm pretty hard on myself. I'll admit that much. Um, but only because I, I want to do as much as possible. Like, man, life's short. And I've got like a thousand ideas. <laughs> yeah. 100%. I, yeah, I feel the same way. Um, I mean, but you're also one of the rare people that I know that like <laughs> goes on daily runs. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, you know, one of those healthy people that wants to live forever, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the secret is that, that if I don't do that, then like, uh, or that's where a lot of the uh, idea flow comes from for for writing and I guess just maintaining my sanity in general is like, I, if I don't get out there, um yeah it all starts to uh all starts to crumble i totally get that i totally get that there's so many problems in your life that you could be solved just by going outside and touching grass (laughs) yeah exactly 
Yeah, very, very many. That and a schedule, man. It's just like, yeah, if I can, if I can keep that stuff up, uh, like you said, it's, I don't know, it's the the liberation within the uh, the regimented thing is totally where it's at for me. So, oh sure, and it's not easy. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend like it's not a struggle sometimes because you know, <laughs> I am still just making things up for a living. Essentially, it's right. very easy right. to just be like, ah, I don't have to be an adult today. <laughs> yep. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, all right. Well, I guess to wrap it up, I, is there anything you have read lately that you would recommend to folks? Hmm. Or less lately, if that's, you know, I got, I got, I got most of the books that people have been talking about. Uh, well in my circle, at least, uh, Callie from dark horse. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed. Uh, I finally got around to reading that Alex Ross, fantastic four, Oh, I've got that ready to go soon. Yeah, uh, it's it's beautiful. I even made a point to dig out of the old long boxes the uh, the bookend issues that uh, it takes place between. So I had a complete oh, reading experience. Um, but yeah, those I think those are the last two comics that I picked up, and like <laughs> pretty much the last seven or eight months. And it was right. you know the holidays, so I didn't even have to pick them up. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it was just like what what are you looking for and i was like this is right here this is the the true statement on the comics industry it's like i, I used to be a wednesday warrior and now i'm picking up like two hardbound very lush pieces of work mm -hmm. but um very enjoyable very exciting stuff i would like that to be a regular thing i would love to live in a world where i could go to the comic store at least once a month and find you know a stack of things that had yeah. me go okay cool yes comics awesome well those are great i'm excited to check out that alex ross one myself um, oh it's fun and it's also him kind of letting loose like yeah. I, get, I get on that like alex ross is one of the greatest painters you know full stop like just one of the best traditional illustrators in the world mm -hmm. and he does the same thing again and again and again but with this book he is having so much fun and he's so much looser and it's so cool to see like those crazy bright colors on his work. It was fun. Yeah. It was a fun read. And I can't tell you the last time I had fun reading a comic book. Very cool. All right. Uh, so where lastly then, uh, where do folks find you and uh, the best place to follow your work at this point? Uh, you can find me at slowmotionart.com. That's S-L-O-M-O-T-I-O-N.com. You can seek me out on Instagram, but like I said, I am not the strongest advocate for social media, nor am I good at keeping up with it. But I do post stories of things that are influencing me. So if you're curious as to what I'm working on, it's probably going to make you go, what? Nice. All right. Well, thanks so much, Carl. I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks, Matt. Looking forward to crushing that next chapter of Dash. Every thought that has ever every thought that has ever been thought every thought that has ever been every thought that has ever been thought.